Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. And it is a happy Sunday because we're working on Gretchen Rubin's The Happiness Project this month. Each of us has been encouraged to develop a personal happiness project. And in fact, I noticed by the door, we still have a few of the, the little uh, tracking mechanisms if you want to. But let me, uh, let me talk uh, just briefly, catch you up if you've missed a Sunday or two. The idea uh, that uh, Gretchen has is each one of us, if we put some intentionality and purposefulness in acquiring happiness, we actually can improve our happiness. And so she gives some, uh, some good advice and some good ideas for finding those activities, those intentions that would tend to produce more happiness in our lives. And so uh, last week we talked about the idea of actually acquiring fun and what adult level fun was like and how to go about that. This week I'm going to tackle kind of an interesting uh, conundrum about fun and happiness. And I think the best place to start is actually a reading from the book. She says, the relationship between money and happiness was one of the most interesting and most complicated, even the most sensitive in my study of happiness. People, including the experts, seem very confused. Money satisfies basic material needs. And so from that respect, it is a means to an end. It's a way to keep score. It's a way to win security, exercise generosity, and even earn recognition. It can foster mastery or uh, dilentism. It symbolizes status and success. It buys time, and that time can be spent either on aimless drifting or purposeful action. It creates power in relationships and in the world. It often stands for the things that we feel that we are lacking. If only we had the money, we might say, we'd be adventurous or thin or cultured or respected or generous. So the question this week is, can money buy happiness? Well, to begin with, the answer is no, but later on in the talk, we'll shift and make the answer yes. So let's start with the no at first. I mean, I think it only makes sense, doesn't it, that rich people are probably just as unhappy on average as poor people. There isn't anything intrinsically about money itself that guarantees happiness. It only just makes sense. And in fact, uh, if you're like me, you're probably on track for some of those worldwide reports on happiness. And they clearly show, in fact, the 2016 survey came out in February, and it clearly shows that the richest nations on the planet are not necessarily the happiest nations on the planet. In fact, we slipped a position in one year. Last year, we were the 19th happiest nation on the planet planet in general, and we slipped a notch. We're down to number 20. And so you might say, well, okay, who's on top? Surprisingly, some of the countries much 
poorer than we are. Now, a few at the very top kind of make sense. All of Scandinavia is up there, and you might think, well, yeah, they have good social programs, you know, good uh, public welfare programs. They're there to poised uh, to help people who are in need. You know, they're very inclusive. Uh, uh, all of the things that you might think are necessary for a, a nation of happiness certainly probably uh, apply to the Scandinavian countries, but right up there near the top are some of the countries we consider to be third world countries and even countries below what we would consider the poverty level in general are way up at the top as well too. So money clearly does not guarantee happiness. So there's the no part of it. You can't just run out with a checkbook, plop down your, uh, you know, your card earned cash and guarantee happiness. So now I want to flip a little bit, though, and start talking about some of the things we can do with money, though, that might facilitate our happiness. And I think a good place to start here might be a joke. Because we all like to shop, don't we? A little? So a couple were out shopping. The center was packed, and as the wife walked out of one store and into another, she was surprised to discover that her husband was nowhere to be found. Did he take the car? How will they find each other? She was frustrated, so she called him on the mobile phone. Where are you, she said. What, what happened? In a very quiet voice, he explained. Honey, do you remember that jewelry store that we went into about five years ago? Remember it's the jeweler on that corner that has windows on both streets? You remember, you, you fell in love with that diamond tennis bra bracelet. It was the one that we really couldn't afford then. The baby had just been born and we were feeling so poor that day. Well, the wife chokes up a little bit, surprised that her husband would remember that day, would remember that bracelet. Touched that he's found his way back there, she says, well, yes, I, I do remember that bracelet, and I can still picture that jewelry store in my mind. It, it's like it was just yesterday. Well, her husband said cheerfully, I'm in the bar right next door. <laughs> well, you knew it was going to take a left turn, didn't you? And so that brings up the idea, for me at least, the idea of material wealth can, through acquisition, we find happiness. And it's an interesting problem because certainly acquisition permits that satisfying feeling, right? Of, of tracking down something that you wanted, maybe doing comparison shopping, doing some of the things. And there is a, a kind of satisfaction when you finally find it, when you finally purchase it. There's no denying that. But remember last week we talked about the three types of fun and satisfaction. The first one was relaxing fun. And that one's like watching TV or reading the book. As soon as you're done with it, you're kind of done with it. It doesn't mean lasting happiness. We also talked about accommodating fun, and that usually involves people. And there we're actually getting as much fun from being with the people that we care about as the activity itself. And so it's, it's kind of like one of those uh, two-for-one things. You get not only the fun of the activity, but it, the bonus is the fun of being with the people that we like and the activity that we 
share. And then the third kind of fun is more challenging and personal fun where we're actually putting ourselves really into something. We're, we're exploring our own creativity and often that too involves friends. And it's, a, it's, like, a, a, it's like a givingness of our, of our own self into some activity. Uh, often hobbies fall into this category where we're really involved in it. And, and often the sense of fun or pleasure lasts throughout the week until you engage in that activity again and there's that sense of being participating when you're not even really involved in it. So those were the kind of three levels of fun. Guess where shopping falls? Yeah, it's the weaker one. The trouble is once you've made the purchase, most of us are done with the pleasure. Have you ever bought something that you were so anticipating, a new car or a new major appliance, and a few months later, it's just a thing you own, right? And in fact, have you ever had that experience of buying something and two days later, you actually wished you hadn't bought it? Yeah, that's the other trouble, of course, with shopping is sometimes we have buyer's remorse. Sometimes in retrospect, we think, you know, I wish I actually had the money, or I wish I would have waited until it came on sale, or, you know, whatever it is, there's that little niggling thought in the back of our minds that maybe that wasn't the best purchase, that kind of does away with the pleasure of actually buying it. Well, the reason we have those kinds of feelings, and, uh, and Gretchen Rubin talks about them, part of it is whether we're a maximizer or a satisfier when we shop. So let me talk about that real briefly. A maximizer buys the best. Do you know someone that actually goes up and down all the aisles at Costco? That would be a maximizer. That's someone who really wants to check out everything and find the gosh darn best, the best product at the best price. In fact, while they're walking up and down the aisles at Costco, they might even have their their smartphone out, right? And they're comparing, well, if I bought this same thing at Target, not only would it be cheaper, but I get an extended warranty, right? And so that would be the maximizer, the idea of really finding the one that has the most capabilities, the most features, the best price, the best warranty, free delivery. Need I go on? You, you maximizers probably have even more ideas of how to make it even better, even more perfect. Well, the other, the other type of person is what they call a satisfier. The satisfier does not go up and down all the aisles at Costco. When they go to Costco, they already have a list of their criteria for what they want. Now, they may not have actually, because if, if you're like me, you know Costco doesn't always have the same things from week to week, right? It's, it's whatever they have. So the satisfier has a list of the qualities they want. So if you're shopping for something like a coffee maker, right? Well, I want one that automatically turns off after 30 minutes because I don't want the, the, the kitchen to go down in flames. And I want it to come with its own filter so I'm not having to buy all those paper filters. But otherwise, you know what? I don't care. So I, as a satisfier, I would go to Costco. It would just say coffee maker, 30-minute timer, comes with a filter. And a satisfier, as soon as they find that one at, the, at a good price, they're done. Guess whether maximizers or satisfiers on general are more happy? 
It satisfies. Isn't that interesting? Apparently, the process of exhaustively checking out all the options actually tends to make us somewhat dissatisfied with our purchase. So the maximizers are more prone to buyer's remorse. They're also more prone to using up a whole lot of time that in retrospect, um, they might have spent enjoying the actual thing. So uh, not that there's anything wrong with either of these things, but if you find yourself confused by too many options, if you find yourself really putting off a purchase that you need to make, always thinking there will be a better one or a newer one or something like that, you might want to change your tactic because probably you're not going to be as happy ultimately in your shopping experience. So think about, well, what is it that I want? What are the qualities of the thing I want? And then as soon as you find it, you're done. If, it, if the price is good and it has the qualities you want, look no further and chances are you'll be happier. So I, I got to tell a story about our new washer and dryer. I did not realize that one of us in the household was a satisfier and one of us in the house uh, was a maximizer. And so we went out, so our dryer died and the washer was, gosh, 20 years old. We thought, well, we'll get a new set. After about 20 different stores and more machines and and we had the smartphone out comparing prices and finally after one bizarrely exhausting day we're at Home Depot and Daniel is being shown this amazing set of appliances why the dryer even has a steaming cycle and I I have to tell you, I'm still not sure what I'm steaming. Uh, at, the er at the earlier service, someone said it would do vegetables, and I'm thinking, well, uh, maybe, uh, maybe. But, but I got to tell you, so we get the washer and dryer home, and, and, and the installer, and I'm so glad we got an installer, but, but they deliver it and bring it upstairs and go to install it, and he said, well, you need another water line. And I said, for what? And he said, well, for the dryer. How do you think it makes the steam? <laughs> now, I got to tell you, so we did the maximizer route on this, and now I have a washer and a dryer that is so complicated, I can't do the laundry anymore. <laughs> it has 35 different cycles, including 12 steam cycles that I'm not, still not sure what it does. You can specify when, not only whether it uses bleach, but to the minute when the bleach gets delivered. So if you want it to go partway through the worst cycle and then add the bleach, and, and then partway through some other cycle and then add the rinsing agent. I mean, it has agents you can put in it that I've never shopped for, that do things to pre-treat the water. And I, I look at it and I think, well, this isn't so dirty. <laughs> so, so I, well, it's not really. It's, you know, I could wear it one more Sunday. <laughs> Can't I? So, uh, so I just, you know, this is my own testament to the idea that the exhaustive search 
really ended up not being that helpful. And I gotta tell you, even though I did discover Daniel is a maximizer, it ended up being true for him too. Because in that process, he's still looking for ones now that are better yet. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's got, <laughs> some of you are pointing to each other. I'm causing domestic rife, so I can tell. Anyway, the better plan, if you really want to be happy with your purchases, is finding out the qualities of what you want, and then as soon as you find it, going, here it is. It's good enough. Okay. A couple other things I want to talk about that money can do for you. And, and again, it's actually more than the money, but it's what money represents. And that's the idea of gracious giving and the idea of giving yourself to the community. Now, here's something we don't think about too often, but uh, Gretchen Rubin actually made it part of her happiness plan. If you look at one of her goals for her happiness project, she has to give away herself on a regular basis. And what she meant by giving away herself was her time, her talent, and her treasure. And she tried to actually kind of even it out. And the way she did it, she made an intention of going out, to physically out to a couple different charities, meeting the people, seeing what their needs were, and then specifically writing a check to fill that need. So that real sense of purposefully helping people in a way that they could recognize the help. Not just writing a check and hoping that it did a good deed, but rather personally involving herself in that idea of, well, well, what do we need at the hospice? Or, or what does uh, the Cascade AIDS Project need right now? You know, how can I help that? Is it something I can provide my expertise with? Is it something that a check will, will help out? And, and that was one of her goals. But she also had a goal of giving herself away in terms of her expertise. And so being a writer, she volunteered at a local school to be an English tutor. Right? So she was giving away some of herself in terms of her expertise. And then finally, she also uh, volunteered at, at her spiritual center, right? Uh, that idea of giving my time. You know, I'm going to donate some of my time. And she claims, uh, you know, she has a, a different plan for every month of the year in the book. And her claim was when she gave herself away, it made her happier than almost any of the other activities. And so, again, it, it, it doesn't have to be money. It can be time. It can be your talents, your, your treasures. But the idea of participating with others, so, so right from the get-go, we're in that higher, uh, that higher level of, uh, uh, of having more pleasure in the world because it involves other people. And then she bumps it up again by having it be truly a gift from the self, not just an anonymous one, but one that she's personally involved with. So it, it ticks into that third layer, that more powerful way of finding happiness through her gifts of time, talent, and treasure. One more thing about money uh, that I want to talk about today and that has the idea of what uh, Gretchen Rubin calls spending your good. And this is something that I actually noticed in myself. Are you one of those people that is a pleasure delayer? And by that I mean 
do you still have the sweet little note cards that your aunt gave you 10 years ago? And she said, just write, just write some thank you notes or, 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 or some happy notes to people you love. Do you still have all of them or have you used them? Remember that special bar of soap that you got in a, in a, in a little soap basket that was handmade and the, a friend of yours made it? Do you still have that bar of soap or did you use it up? I wasn't completely identifying with this idea of deferring my love until I got to the question, do you use your good china? And I went, oh, holy. I mean, so I'm an only child. I inherited the nice family china. In 22 years, I've used it once. And I love it. It's sweet. It actually, and it actually goes through the dishwasher. It's not like I'm saving it because it's hard to take care of. I'm saving it for why? Right? Why wouldn't I want to enjoy the things that I have spent money on or that I, that I have that are really lovely? Why, why would I want to somehow put off my good, Right? Am, am I somehow going to use up all those note cards on my deathbed and I'll feel better for it? Right? You know, what's up with that? So that's the other thing that she counsels us in. When we have things, when we, when we have purchased things or been given things, let's actually use the pleasure in them. You know, I, I laugh often when, uh, when Nancy and the other practitioners hand out our birthday cards who in here has a wallet full of... <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. It's like, well, what's up with that? Do you realize how useful and pleasant a practitioner session is, right? It's like, let's use our... good. That's what it's... Stuff is intended to be used. In fact, if you think about it, stuff that isn't used is actually what? It's a liability, have you ever bought stuff that later on you realized it was just a, a liability? Right now, we're a two-car household. And, uh, and, of course, the idea is, well, Daniel and I can both be out doing our things. And, but you know what? It comes with what? Two payments, two, uh, two insurance payments. It's like we got to wash two of the... Well, actually, I discovered we don't have to wash two cars. <laughs> and if you look at mine, you'll, you'll notice that, right? <laughs> but with stuff comes the responsibility of taking care of this stuff. For gosh sakes, let's use it and let's be mindful of the purchase what comes with it? Do I have to spend a lot of time taking care of something that maybe I don't need? Anyway, relationship, money to happiness, it's there. But it's more about how you use it. It's more about the mindful application of, will this thing that the money represents, is it just a buy? Is it just about buying something? Because if it is, probably unlikely to give you any measure of lasting happiness. Now, if it's adding to something that really does bring you pleasure, I know a lot of people uh, uh, really enjoy maybe their library, and there's something about having a hardbound book that didn't come from the library that just makes them feel good about themselves, right? 
There's, a, there's an example of, well, why not buy another book, right? If it brings you pleasure. But so often, I think the things we buy just up, end up on a shelf somewhere. Just get used once a year. Or, or maybe once in 20, 22 years. So give it some thought. Let's be using the things that bring us pleasure. Let's be only buying the things that truly bring us pleasure. And let's, above all, remember to give away our good. We're meant to be here to enjoy one another's company and to do good in the world. And you can get a lot of pleasure from it. So I'm going to close today with a a final quote um, from Gretchen Rubin's book here. She says, people differ wildly from one another in how they respond to money and the things they can purchase. It's practically impossible to make generalizations. Take my blender. When I replaced our leaky blender, I splurged and bought a very expensive, very powerful blender. For me, because I make smoothies every day, the blender is a daily joy. But for a person who never cooks, a fancy blender is just a liability. It's just a piece of conspicuous consumption. Money, it's a good servant, but it's a bad master. And then she goes on to say, it is by spending oneself, the actress Sarah Bernhard remarked, that one becomes rich. What's more, one intriguing study showed that Sarah Bernhardt's pronouncement is literally true, that people who give money to charity end up wealthier than they were before. After doing complex number crunching for, to control for different variables and inflation, a researcher concluded that charitable giving is not just correlated with higher income, it actually causes higher income. Some explanations for this surprising effect include the brain stipulation of creativity caused by charitable activity and also the fact that those who are seen behaving charitably are more likely to be elevated to leadership positions and have greater social regard. So let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and one goodness. And what I know is that it's infinite. There is an infinite good to be have. There is an infinite good to also be given away. It's the nature, that reciprocity of the universe. It is the nature of giving and receiving to bring joy. And so when we contemplate on this idea of whether money can buy happiness, I I claim the yes side. I I claim that ability to wisely choose where I spend my money. I choose to wisely give my time, my talent, and my treasure to others with that idea of tangibly noticing the love, the light, the joy, the peace, the, the ability to truly be happy in this process. Not just buying to be buying, not just using my money because it seems right or because someone else had done it, but really understanding my motivations, really heightening my ability to feel joy in the moment. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room. Each person here can find that way to use our, our income, our time, and our talent wisely to make contributions of, of ourselves out into the world to bring us great joy, to bring us that happiness we so richly deserve. And for this, I'm grateful. 
I'm grateful always for the hearts and the hands of the people here in this room and beyond. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you're here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.